Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today I have a special guest, Kelly Edwards from 90 Minute School Day. I met, in air quotes, Kelly because I started following her on Instagram and then my eldest daughter attended a homeschool workshop of hers. And I will just give you a minute to introduce yourself a little further, Kelly. Well, first of all, Kathleen, thank you for having me on the uh, the podcast as a guest. I'm just honored to be here. And a little bit about me is I'm in my ninth year of homeschooling. I am a homeschool mom here in the Shenandoah Valley of West Virginia, and I have three children. Their ages are 15, 9, and 5 at the time of this recording, and uh, I'm just thrilled to help parents in homeschooling make the transformation that I feel like I stumbled down the mountain and up the mountain and through the woods in the dark (laughs) to get through myself. And so that's really where the 90-minute school day came from, is um, coming alongside parents who are either considering homeschooling or have already been homeschooling, make the shift in their homeschool from a top-down approach to being relational with their children as the foundation and going from there. So that's a little bit about me. My husband and I have been married for 15 years, and um, all of our children are neurodivergent, and they have come to us through the foster adoptive system here in West Virginia. Which is very similar to my family, except four of my kiddos were adopted from Poland, and we're just full of neurodivergency in our family, including myself. And because you met my daughter, you know that she is too. And so um, Kelly's going to talk to us a little bit about healing, growth, and resilience in homeschooling. And honestly, I wish that you you had been doing this when I started homeschooling so many years ago. So I homeschooled for a couple decades, homeschooled all of my kiddos, and it was very different then. It was very academic-based, and I'm very grateful and thankful that you talk a lot more about connected parenting and natural learning and getting outdoors, which we did a lot of with my kiddos. So why is this topic being, you know, the healing, the growth, and the resilience in homeschooling, why is it relevant for parents? 
That's a great question. And why it's relevant is because if you're listening to this podcast, there's trauma somewhere in either your own personal history, your family history, or with your children, I would assume, with your audience. And um, what happens is, or at least for my story, um, you know, you don't realize sometimes the trauma that you have until you become a parent. And Mm. then it kind of comes out of you. Mm. And uh, it's about reflection and looking back at, okay, what just happened here? This isn't the way I thought I would parent, or maybe this isn't the way I saw myself going. And so uh, it can be the same with our uh, scholastic journey um, alongside our kids, right? We have our Mm -hmm. own school experience, but it isn't until our children enter the school system or we're considering putting our children in the school system. And I'm talking about any kind of traditional Uh, school. So whether that's public or private, that's kind of what I'm talking about here when I say like school system, Mm -hmm. because that's what it is. It's group learning where there's one adult and 30 kids and just the logistics of that typically have a top down approach, which works for kids. It works for some kids. um, But a lot of kids, especially those with trauma or neurodivergence, it doesn't work for them. And so you start to get a 504 plan set up, um, or you might have pulled an IEP on, uh, for your child. And even with those, uh, accommodations and assistance, your child is still struggling. They think they uh, aren't good at certain subjects or that they're not smart. And then you're crushed. You're trying to work alongside the system and the system just isn't designed for this. And so many families ended up, end up leaving the school system to homeschool And that was one of the reasons I started homeschooling. I don't know why you started homeschooling, Kathleen, but we started homeschooling our oldest daughter for attachment because we were adopting her out of the system, the foster care system, at six years old. And so we had missed six years with her. Um, Mm. However, what ended up happening, I don't know how it was for you, I started that academic school-at-home approach. We set the Pledge of Allegiance, we sat at a desk, Mm -hmm. and uh, I had a grade book, and we had, like, a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and life did not go according to plan. And I couldn't keep pace with the curriculum I bought and how, what they were suggesting, which made me feel like a failure and made me put more pressure on her. And of course, she's pushing back from that. And there are daily battles and conflicts. Uh, and and at some point, I was getting so frustrated. I knew I knew there was a different way to do this. I just didn't know what. And it was kind of like what you were saying earlier. I wish I had the 90-minute school day back when I started Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, it was through my own personal journey of trying to parse apart why my homeschool didn't look like everyone else's homeschool and what were they doing right that I wasn't doing right that I started this process that I now know is called de-schooling. And Mm. de-schooling is just decoupling expectations and needs and kind of deconstructing your understanding of learning and how children, uh, how children really learn and how education can look different outside of that classroom that you've left. And so that's really kind of uh, where my business has come from and, and where my heart is. Um, if I can spare anyone some of the trials and angst, I mean, we, we can't go through life without trials and struggles, mm-hmm. but sometimes we need companionship on that journey and someone to help guide us. And then we can turn around and help guide our kids. Right. And I feel like I had two origins into homeschooling. I initially began homeschooling because my eldest daughter was so intelligent and she was not being challenged at school. 
So the academics for her, she was soaring above her classmates and unfortunately some of her teachers who did not like that. So I started homeschooling her for that reason and she was able to pick out whole books and read them instead of excerpts. But then I began homeschooling. I was I stayed homeschooling, but I feel like I had a second origin story after we adopted because then my reason for homeschooling was the same as yours for attachment. And plus, filling in those gaps of development, and I'm not talking about academically, I'm talking about emotionally and attaching and feeling like you're part of a family and going back over those things that my kiddos missed in regulation and connection. So yeah, so I began, so my homeschooling had to change so much after that. I was like, wait a minute. Audrey is like whipping out the encyclopedias and reading them. And these kids, they, they can't sit in a desk for five minutes. <laughs> so I have like, I have so many stories in my homeschooling journey. But I think that your story is very relevant for today because I don't think there's a child that hasn't experienced some level of trauma after the pandemic and all of the other things that are going on in the world. And especially if you're bringing a child home through foster care or adoption and they already have a trauma history or they get a, what I like to call a capital letter syndrome diagnosis, then that's a trauma all in itself. So those are all things that I think that we need to consider. Absolutely. And I really like how you just said, um, if you have a capital letter syndrome, so if you're neurodiverse, um, that is a trauma in and of itself. And I think that that is something that is coming more and more to light, um, kind of to the consciousness of parents. And um, thanks to social media, I believe, and how accessible podcasts like this are to people. But when you're neurodivergent, even if you haven't had trauma, as we think about something bad happening to us from the outside, living in this neurotypical world, when your brain is wired differently, Mm -hmm. gives you kind of a collective trauma. And so, um, and trauma and neurodivergence look similar to how it impacts the brain. And so I think that's so important to be trauma informed and to have a relational approach to your parenting and and a child's learning because we that's how we learn we learn through our own experiences and then through relationship with others and sometimes that relationship like you're talking about your oldest was with the encyclopedia but that's a relationship with the authors who wrote the encyclopedia so you need relationship and if you can't function in a healthy way in relationship then it's all for naught isn't it right exactly And we are born experience expectant, and that's how our brain starts growing, is through experience. So we need to have those connections and those experiences as well. So I'm going to ask you a question. What are three things that you think parents need to know about healing, growth, and resilience in homeschooling? Well, that's a big question. Um, Three things that parents need to know is first and foremost, uh, natural learning, which is what the approach that I take, natural learning is not school at home. It's that back to that de-schooling, deprogramming ourselves first and our mindsets away from the societal systems that box us in. We've taken Mm, our child out of this 
box of school and out of these limitations um, asking our, our our child who thinks differently or experiences the world differently to perform at like a typical child without trauma, without a neurodivergence would, uh, that limits our kids and our families. Nobody wants to have a limited belief mentality. They want mm-hmm. to have a growth mentality. So really the first thing I think parents need to know is they need to start de-schooling and learning about decoupling that expectation away from what is needed right now. So we need to meet needs first. We need to meet them within ourselves keep ourselves regulated and then meet the needs of our child. The second thing I think um, is to make sure that kind of leads into the second point of um, stabilizing their attachment and their felt safety. A child can be safe. Like my children are Mm -hmm. safe in my home. They are safe with me. I'm not going to let anything happen to them if I possibly can help it. However, their nervous system might be activated and they might not feel safe in their bodies. And I know what that feels like because when I'm about to blow and I'm just going to lose my temper and shout at my kids, my body, I actually don't feel safe in my body. And that reaction is coming from that um, not feeling safe in my own body. And we call that dysregulation, right? So right. being able to understand that, getting kind of doing this deeper work underneath, you know, the behaviors that we're experiencing that we don't care for in our children, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And what, and the true fix is not slapping a Band-Aid on that with a corrective measure and a consequence. It's like looking to understand what's underneath that behavior, especially with our kids from hard places. And then the third thing I'd say that I wished parents would know, or I wish I had known earlier, was that learning is always happening. We are always learning. All of those, like, quote-unquote, maladaptive behaviors that our kids have, that's actually a learned behavior that they needed at some point in their lives. And if it's not serving them anymore, or we could uh, shift that behavior to be something that would be more healthy, then that's something that we need to work on with our kids. And so first and foremost, we have to understand that everything that we do in life and everything that our kids do in life, whether they succeed, whether they fail, they're learning through that. We are hardwired uh, to learn biologically. Right. Yeah, those are really good things. And I think about the first thing that you talked about. It's like when in our lives, what other time in our lives that we form to society and do exactly what it says? Honestly, Mm -hmm. I think it's only in the school years and college years we kind of go bazonkers sometimes, but like we're just like, we don't do that now. In your own home, you don't say, gee, I wonder if the neighbor is mowing their lawn right now, or I wonder if it's time for me to make dinner. No, you have your own culture within your own home. You have your own values. You have your own morals. You're like a little mini society. And it's okay to admit that and say, this is the way that we are living and we are going to teach you coping mechanisms and, and adhere to your learning style so that when you're an adult, you can continue this and you can continue these habits and that you will be a thriving adult without just saying, oh my goodness, is this, is this on the list of things I'm supposed to be doing today? Or, you know, all those checklists we used to get at the, you get at the pediatrician. Are they doing this, this, and this? And I would look at those and say, well, not yet, but it's going to happen. You know, I'm not going to, I got um, turned into social services at one of those visits with my youngest because like he wasn't crawling. I mean, he was crawling. He was 19 months old. He wasn't 
He had a cleft palate, all these kinds of things. But I knew where he was and I knew where he needed to be. But we give in to the culture so much. And when it's shaming and damaging our child's view of themselves, is that helping? Is that checklist helping then? No, it's not. No, and not only is that damaging for the child, but it's damaging for the for the parent because we kind of lose belief in ourselves, right? We, right. We, um, and I, I love how you kind of like gave an example right there. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a pediatrician, so I don't go to pediatricians anymore. I, you know, my children still have health care. They see a provider. Mm-hmm. But I moved away from a pediatrician to a doctor of osteopathy so mm-hmm. that my child was seen holistically, that I was seen holistically, and we weren't just comparing my child against this arbitrary checklist that the Academy of Pediatrics decided a six-year-old should look like. Um, right. You know, that's that's just taking people and putting them in the law of averages, and every single person is unique, and every single person um, has their own, you know, strengths and weaknesses, and being able to be- empower parents instead of making them feel like they're not doing it right. And I know that no one's intentionally trying to do this, but that's what our culture does. We're this perfection-seeking culture. Mm. And so we kind of seek out this perfection, but you can't. That's impossible. Nobody's perfect. You're never going to be perfect. We need to be looking for progress. We need to be engaging in practices and looking at life and learning and parenting and living as a practice that we have the opportunity to get better at and improve but it's not something that we're ever going to, and I hate the word like right, you know, get mm-hmm. it right. <laughs> what is exactly. that? What, that what is that? Right. <laughs> exactly. And and then the second thing you talked about felt safety. I talk about that a lot on my website and on the podcast because felt safety is more important than actual safety. Because yes. felt safety is what we feel in our own bodies. And these kiddos who don't feel safe, they can't learn. They just can't. There's no way they can learn because they're stuck in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn is the new one. Like you get stuck in those and the amygdala is shooting all this cortisol through the body. And I can't learn that way. And I use this example, like say you are in a lecture, you're in college and the professor is talking and you're like taking furious notes. You're so interested. This is so great. You want to learn this material. Now, another scenario, imagine that you're at a park and the professor is speaking and there's a band playing, there's dogs barking, there's people yelling and screaming and having fun, but then suddenly you can't focus because you're so overstimulated and maybe you're even frightened because you don't know what's going on in the background, then you can't learn. And that's how these kiddos feel when they don't feel safe. So I think that's a very, very important point that you made. We, our kids need to feel safe so that they can learn, so that their nervous system, like you said, can calm down and they can actually absorb whatever's going on around them in a good way. Right. Yeah. Like, let's stop right there and dig in a little bit more because what you're just saying is like so powerful. And I love the illustration you gave because we can all visualize what that feels like. And perception is reality and human beings communicate non-verbally more than they can communicate verbally. So our children, especially children, our children are scanning our body language all the time. And especially our kids that have more sensitive nervous systems because they've been through trauma or Mm -hmm. because their brain is wired differently and they're neurodivergent, they actually like 
in my experience through my own children and then, you know, when I'm doing my coaching with my parents, these kids have like radar more than the average yes. bear on picking <laughs> yes. up your energy. And so your example from earlier is a great example of like how I get at the end of the day. My ears are exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of gets into polyvagal theory when your ears kind of like shut you into, they've had enough input for right now. And then the next thing can put you into fight or flight. And I know I feel that way when like I've been asked questions all day. Someone's been hanging on me, the nails on the chalkboard, whining, crying. Um, I've got dinner to get ready. Someone just came to the door. The baby has a poopy diaper. The dog won't stop barking. And I'm boiling something over on the stove. And all of a sudden I need to jump out of my skin and if Mm -hmm. my husband happened to walk in the door right there and ask me a question he's gonna get it right (laughs) right (laughs) we've all been there and that's that's not a reflection of my character that is not a reflection of me as a human being that is a reflection of my nervous system has can't manage anymore and I'm into survival mode and so for our kids that um, are from hard places or have neurodivergence this is kind of where they live. And so they're kind of accustomed to it, but that doesn't mean that it feels good. And so when we can see that and we can, that gives us empathy, number one, and then we can look to help give them the tools they need to feel more stable in their felt safety. Mm -hmm. And then in that relaxed space, we can learn. But that takes time, especially like, I don't know how it's been for you, Kathleen, but we have had just, you know, seasons where everybody's nervous system is so super activated that all I can do is just get through the day and I have to drop the quote unquote school. And it was through all of that, that you can give yourself grace and you can watch what happens anyways. And if you're prioritizing felt safety and attachment, the learning still happens and it happens I bet I would put all the money in the world it's going to happen and like spark on fire if you can keep that environment uh consistent right and I've I've had lots of seasons like that too and then uh, seasons where it's just like I had to quit all my outside of the home commitments because of that and I just need to huddle down and stay at home with my kids and whether it's just reading books or playing games or when's the next snack or, you know, because we always have very scheduled snack times because these kiddos don't recognize their own body's need for food and water. So I would have these scheduled snack times. And then sometimes it felt like the day is just breakfast snack time, lunch snack time, (laughs) dinner snack time, you know. (laughs) But it's just meeting those needs because I had one particular child who got into some food hoarding for a while and it was because she didn't feel like there was going to be food there even though there was always food there but that was her old trauma trigger coming back out to you know bite her in the butt so to speak and it's funny because now that she is an adult and she's a mom of two little boys she always has the snacks no matter where we're going she's like mom It's my trauma trigger. I know that. I'm going to bring snacks with me wherever I go. I'm going to bring extra clothes. I'm going to bring extra water. And so it becomes a coping mechanism and a habit that helps not only herself, but other people like me who say, do you have a granola bar in there? So, yeah, so it's important. And if we look at that, because I always say, you know, is this going to matter 10 years from now? That's the question oh, that's good. Yeah. I've asked since my kids were little. 
So some of the things that aren't going to matter 10 years from now, just let them go. And like you don't actually need to memorize the capital of every state. Like right. just, it's not going to serve you in third grade or whenever they, they say you should learn it. You're going to pick it up over time anyways. And if you need it, you can always look it up. Exactly. And especially yeah. like when you become an adult and you're like, hey, I want to travel. You're going to look at a map or you're going to look at some map um, like the GPS or something, you know. Yeah. yeah, and then and you meet people over time that are from different places, and they're from Indiana, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've never met anyone from Indiana. And you get to learn more about Indiana from the relationship that you have with that person. Or, it, again, it doesn't have to be an interpersonal relationship in your real life right now. It can also be, like, learning because you're reading a book, and the main exactly. character of the book is from Indiana, and they live in the capital of Indiana, which, right off the top of my head, I'm sitting here, like, with a question mark. <laughs> That's why we have Google. <laughs> educated very successful woman it's it's okay we all have gaps in our learning and that's something to embrace as well like I'm suddenly singing the capital song (laughs) in my head like you just triggered it (laughs) yeah so I mean there's uh and I think that's what we have to remember too as parents our our society is so focused on academics for children but I think I think that is shifting. I think people are getting more and more um, engaged in social-emotional learning. That's certainly being pushed in schools. But really being able to raise a whole person who's confident and able to access and provide and regulate themselves, like you're explaining your daughter now, uh, makes sure that she has those things that are triggers for her. And that experience... This is helping her be more aware, I hope, of like providing those things for her children. Because even though... They are descended from her DNA. They're different people. And we can't shape our kids. We just need to give them the ingredients they need to grow themselves, right? They're seeds. They're not uh, clay pots. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, she is very good about providing those for her children. And I think she's more aware of other people around her having those needs or those triggers than probably someone who didn't experience trauma. That Mm -hmm. she kind of, I don't know, we, we always say we have this radar. All of the, the girls in my family, especially, are very trauma-informed. And they started learning from me when they were younger, going to workshops, being the babysitters, and just picking everything up. And so we go out in public, and they're just like, they've got this radar, you know. So, yeah, so, and I think that's good. They're, they're self-aware, and they're also aware of the environment and the people around them who are struggling. So I kind of right. got off topic there, but I'll let you... I'll let you um, continue. <laughs> no, I think that's good. And I think I think you just hit on something right there that we need to just remind ourselves. I think most of us know this, but like nothing will change in your life if you don't have awareness around that. So if mm-hmm. you're not aware of felt safety, then when your child is exhibiting a behavior and you know they're safe, this is me for a long time. I was just like sitting there like she's safe. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. But she didn't feel safe and she didn't have the language or just she'd never experienced what it feels like to be something other than always in her amygdala so she thought she was safe too but but Mm -hmm. 
her nervous system was on fire. And how can we calm that down? How can we, uh, you know, recognize these symptoms? And that's where, like, for me personally, my journey of digging into the neuroscience and being able to understand how our brain works and being able to understand that we've got this great executive functioning portion of our brain, but then we've got our emotional part that acts as the stairwell and our limbic system that takes us up and down. Um, out of our amygdala and why all these things are wired this way. And then there's so much like self-compassion that you can give yourself because right. you, you realize like this, I reacted here and I'm not proud of that. And I can make that repair and own, like take personal responsibility for what you did. But then you can also give your, forgive yourself because you understand, Hey, I lashed out in anger and that was not how I want to show up, but that was, it makes sense. And I'm going to apologize and I'm going to do the work myself to kind of try to prevent that from happening in the future. And that takes uh, work. And usually with someone, like it's really hard to work on yourself on these things without like community or a therapist or like a really intuitive best friend type of situation. I agree. I agree because especially if we have experienced trauma, including being neurodivergent, because that's a trauma, which we talked about, your trauma becomes your norm. So unless you are working with someone who says, hey, you know what? That limiting belief that you have about yourself and people around you and the community, that's that's not true. We need to change that belief. Otherwise, we just stay stuck in our old belief system and think, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. This is the way everything works. And everything else that's falling apart around me is, I can't change that. And this, it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when we have, you know, we as parents, I don't know if you experienced this, Kathleen, but like, I have PTSD from my daughter's PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so I had to work through that. And, and when you're working, when, when you've got all this going on in your home, you have to work on your own healing and your child's healing. And sometimes that need you need a separation to, to give the space to be able to, for both parties to heal. Yes. If you know what I'm saying? Yes, like, exactly. Sometimes you, you can't keep getting re-triggered by another personality. If you're trying to work on your on on reducing your own inflammation in your nervous system. So you have to get creative. Like, what does that look like? How can I create this space so we can both work on what we need to work on and still live in uh, a family dynamic or homeschool together and, and things. And that's where, you know, this living life on earth is hard. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, I'll just have that moment. <laughs> you're, you're talking about exactly what, like the whole blueprint for my book, how to have peace when your kids are in chaos. It's like I, and first of all, I'm a huge empath. So mm-hmm. I was suffering from PTSD from my kiddos trauma too to the point where I had to get help and separate myself from these codependent relationships I was having with my kiddos. And but I the first thing that we have to do is we have to reframe our beliefs about ourselves, about parenting, about all of these things that we're talking about, learning the science and all of that. And then we have to make sense of and peace with our past so we're not in this trigger war with our kiddos, but we have to do it simultaneously. We're raising these kids, and it's got to be parallel. We can't just say, you know what, I'm going to take a year off, and I'm going to work on myself, 
know. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, okay, we pause we'll on this. I wasn't prepared. Like, yeah. Rewind. I wanted to adopt or I wanted to be a parent, but I didn't think it was going to be like this. Can I have a redo, please? Yes. I often say, like, I'm going to write a book one day on reasons why you shouldn't adopt for the whole purpose of just, obviously, I'm a big fan of adoption. I, I love it. I'm a big advocate. But but it's kind of like that uh, thinking sometimes in the neg- in like the reverse. Yes. Like, the, the, I'm thinking about like a photograph negative. When you when you flip everything, you can see more clearly. So reasons why not to adopt would be super helpful to read before you plan to adopt. Yeah, that that's funny because no, I wrote an article called it was um, entitled 10 Reasons You Shouldn't Adopt." Yeah, because okay. <laughs> that was years ago, and I was like, "I'm gonna lay it all out there for people. You just need to know this before you enter the adoption world." <laughs> Yeah, and I, I feel like you can write that for probably anything that that is truly important to us in life. So, you know, 10 reasons not to have children, 10 reasons not to get married, 10 reasons to, you know, not put your school kid in the school system. <laughs> right, well, and even the curriculum I used when my kiddos were growing up, if they had a whole section, 27 reasons not to use this curriculum. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. So we're going to finish up here, Kelly, but is there one last piece of advice you would like to tell the audience? Yes, I think it kind of, I think we've kind of said, said it, but I'm going to restate it differently. You know, like when I talked about the three things that I really wish parents knew about how healing homeschooling can truly be is um, through de-schooling, through that attachment lens and awareness and community. I think what kind of summarizes all of that into like one thing is I believe you Hmm. and all of us are doing the very best we possibly can. And to the parent who is listening to this podcast, I believe you. I believe everything that you are saying that you are telling pediatricians, that you are telling the educators at your child's school system, that you're telling your spouse, that you're telling your child's therapist, that you're, you're telling yourself that you're telling your child, I believe you, you are doing the very best you know how to do with, what you're equipped with at the time right now. Right. And so um, thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you for um, listening to Kathleen. And, and I want you to believe your child. And that's a hard place to be, especially if you're really struggling with your child, if, they're, if you're both kind of pinging off of each other and there's like, um, you know, you've got trauma and going on between the two of you. I just want to know that I believe you and then we need to get to where we can believe our children. So when they come to us and we we can see they might be telling us something that is not, it's in direct opposition to their behavior, but we can say and restate to them, like, I see you. I see that you're mm. coming and you're telling me um, some of what happened, but you're not telling me everything because you don't want to make yourself look bad. I believe you mm. and it's okay. You know, and so like yeah. giving our children that acceptance, giving them that language that we believe them and then guiding them, right? And guiding them out of lying because they're afraid. Get right. Guide them out of um, um, trying to constantly niggle their little sibling because they're jealous. And we're just going to recognize, I believe you. I see you're jealous and I understand, right? right. And so we right. can accept everything. That doesn't mean we approve of it. But when someone feels truly accepted, that's felt safety. Yes. And that's what I really want to bring into my home and my yes. relationship with others. And I want to share that with parents who are looking to make a shift in their homeschools. 
Well, thank you. So one last thing, where can people find you? Okay, you can find me on the 90 minute, well, not the 90 minute school day.com is my website. It's so it's the number 90 minute school day.com. It's my website. You can find me on Instagram at 90 minute school day. Again, it's the number. And then I speak regularly on Clubhouse. I'm at 90 min school day there. They didn't have enough characters. <laughs> and I have my and I have my own podcast called the 90 minute school day. So I just love to connect with anyone who's listening that is considering homeschooling or is homeschooling and is looking to make that pivot. Uh, I just love to be part of their journey. Well, I will make sure those are all included in the show notes. So thanks for being on the show, Kelly. Thank you, Kathleen. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.